Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Chris Besant. She is a veterinary doctor with over 30 years of experience in the field, but the cool part about it, she's a holistic vet. So she's well-versed in Chinese herbs, also in acupuncture, also in whole foods for pets. And why am I bringing her on? Well, twofold. I get a lot of questions from folks about what to do about their pets. I'm not a vet, but guess what? My intuition was right after talking to Chris. Pets, especially dogs, are not too different than humans. We're just another animal. Now, the other reason I wanted to bring her on is because pets are a canary in the coal mine for your house. If something's off in the house, they're getting exposed to something, whether it's your water, whether there's mold, whether there's allergens, microbiome stuff, they are going to be the ones that are going to show symptoms first. So I thought it was important to share a little bit about pets, how you're feeding them, things of that nature, and also talk a little bit about herbs. Now, this is going to be a two-part series, so stay tuned for our next podcast. We're going to be talking about the microbiome and how your pet's microbiome and your microbiome are very similar. Wild stuff here, but nevertheless, absolutely fascinating. I learned a ton, and I know you will too. So let's jump into the podcast. Hey there, health junkies. Welcome to another episode of The Health Fix. I have a treat for you today. I'm going to take things in a different direction. I am interviewing Dr. Chris Besant today. She's a She is a veterinary doc, not a hormone specialist, someone of that nature, but she has some very valid information here that I think, you know, maybe we can sneak it under the table here. If you guys take care of your pets better than, than you do yourself, maybe we can sneak in getting you to take a few steps for yourself. So Dr. Besant, welcome to the Health Fix podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This, this is a enjoyable yeah. So uh, guys, just a backstory here. I, I saw her um, on another interview on Instagram and I was like, please come on and talk with my folks. And so she graciously said, yes, I would. And I'm super excited today to, to talk. So one of the big things we were talking about before we jumped on the the podcast was talking about this time of year, this the springtime, we do start to have more allergies. Pets can have allergies, but so can can humans. And there's there's likely a little crossover with fur and and all of that stuff. So I'm gonna turn it over to you to kind of talk a little bit about how pets can present with allergens and what kind of things we could be be doing to help them out. And of course we're gonna get into that toxicity talk too as well. Yeah, I would say that animals, um, you know, cells are cells. And so even though humans, we think we're so unique, we're just another animal mm -hmm. <laughs> out there. And so hypersensitivity or allergic reactions that happen in humans happen to animals as well. And it's all of the same things that we would see in people. So it, allergies are either inhalant or something they ate or something they contacted. So an inhalant is the most common and that is molds and dusts and pollens and everything that is gonna be in bloom as <laughs> spring comes. And so we oftentimes see that animals do well in the winter time when it's cold and damp and, and the only allergens are the things that are in the house. Mm -hmm. So 
But now that spring is coming and things are blooming and grasses are coming back and trees are starting to bloom, you'll see a massive increase in allergies in dogs this time of year. So it's inhalant, it can be food. So, um, you know, there's no question that the nutrition of dogs is, is so bad, like the bar is so low that there's so many different toxins and foods that absolutely affect them and, and can cause a hypersensitivity reaction. And then lesser is contact and contact would be, let's say you bathe, you wash their bed in a laundry detergent with lots of perfumes. Um, mm -hmm. Dogs would be very sensitive to that. So the same hypersensitivity that reaction that happens in a human happens in a dog as well. But I would say that dogs, dogs um, manifest it differently. Mm. So for dogs, it's always either skin. So it's itchy skin and itchy ears and itchy faces, but it's hot, red, inflamed, um, hot spots and just itchiness everywhere. Or the other is they show it up as GI disturbances. Mm. So they're eating a food that has a toxin that they're developing a hypersensitivity reaction to. You'll see this massive disruption of their microbiome and you'll see diarrhea and vomiting. And almost always you see a combination of the two, meaning that, that they have some itchiness but they also have some GI upset as well. So the incidence of purely just skin without any GI or purely GI without any skin is, is few and far between. Usually you see them both, but you don't see like necessarily sneezing and, and things like we running eyes, like we would see in people. Yeah. It's, it's different in animals. They reflect it in the skin. They reflect it in the gut. Wow. Wow. And here's the, here's the thing with humans, you know, I, I see, you know, more advanced cases of allergy things showing up much like the dogs. So the dogs, it's interesting. The dogs wow. go straight to what humans would see in a more advanced case. So that's, that's fascinating. And I think for a lot of folks listening, it might be like, Hmm, could we connect some dots here? Now you had mentioned mold in the house and, and, mold in in particular where would dogs get a hold of this could it be on on rugs is it carpets is it are they eating dirt out of plants what what kind of places might they find it yeah. um you have to imagine that their world is really low right yeah so they're if you were on your hands and knees all day in your house and you would be like, wow, this is a lot dirtier than it seemed. <laughs> when I'm standing yeah. up, my house looks really clean. When, you, when you're on the ground, you're like, man, this is pretty dirty. So everything is going to filter down into the rugs and into the floor. And that is the realm. That's the space that dogs live. So yeah. everything that they're inhaling is all things that have kind of filtered down. And so they are really, um, really prone to allergies that are inhalant. So for example, 
um, in the winter time. So we're all in Wisconsin. Yep. And in the dead of the winter, when people are um, burning fireplaces, that is a huge trigger. That yeah. the ash and and the the smoke from the fireplaces are all going to filter down and get down into that area where dogs tend to be. I, I think another really important part, the difference between dogs and humans, is dogs essentially walk around without shoes on. And so when they go out into the yard and let's say the neighbor sprayed pesticides on their lawn, that's going to go through the water table. It's going to kind of diffuse down into your lawn. And even though the pads of dogs are on their paws are thick, they're still absorbent. So any of the herbicides or pesticides that you might find from um, glyphosate from a, a neighboring um, agricultural field is going to go into your area, your lawn, and you're not going to really see it because you're wearing shoes most of the time. Dogs are in it all the time, and so they're absorbing through their paws. The other thing that's really significant for dogs is that you and I might drink coffee, we might drink soda, maybe you don't, but... <laughs> <laughs> on the occasion, I don't need ever. <laughs> but we would drink water from other places. We would drink what the liquids that we get are from multiple different sources. The point is, is that dogs only drink the water from your home, yeah, and that's what they drink twenty four seven for fifteen years of their life. So if there's any contaminants in your home water that it could be microscopic. It's a big deal to them. And because they're not getting it from multiple different sources. Wow. You know, I read that on, I, of course I stalked you. I stalk all my people um, in a positive way. <laughs> I read that how you were saying, like looking at the different water sources, looking at, you know, where, where they're drinking, you know, what, what they've got there and, and also the bowls and making sure we, we don't have plastic bowls that we're drinking out of. And this is something that I think is good for humans to think about too. Like, you know, your dog's got the plastic bowl. If you're drinking out a plastic cup, we've got exposures here in terms yeah of chemicals. And then the other thing that really brought my mind out is thinking about in the hot summer days, you got a plastic bowl outside for the pets. Uh, mm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all they drink from. So that's mm. all they're, they're exposed to. We have a, a, a area near my practice that there is um, really, really low levels of radioactivity in the water. Oh, wow. Like it's, it's seen, uh, if you go to the village um, water testing, they, it shows, and it's below what the EPA says is allowable, which is crazy, but yeah. And dogs in that area live to three and four years of age and they all get cancers. Oh, and to the point that the pet owners in that area believe that, oh yeah, all dogs get cancer. No, no, they don't. And, and those dogs only drink that water their entire lives from the time they're puppies till three or four years of age when they have these terrible cancers that they pass from still going on to this day. And it, it's crazy, but I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that 
our pets are the canaries in the coal mine. Yeah. They are the um, neglected species that is a reflection of what we should be experiencing. So those, those pets that live in that area that has the radioactivity in the water, those humans are bathing in it and they're washing their clothes in it and they're drinking it, but they're also going out and doing other things. So that dog is a reflection of the same thing that is occurring for them, but at, but at a lower level. So absolutely. I think that what we see in pets, even if you don't love pets, like I do, <laughs> and you do, I'm like, I don't know if we can be friends. If, if someone doesn't love pets, it's really hard for me, but I get it. I get it. I, I understand. <laughs> even if you don't love pets, yeah. it's still a reflection of the toxicity that we see in our world. And one of the things that I'm, I'm sure you're aware of is um, this DCM in dogs, um, mm -hmm. dilated cardiomyopathy. Yeah. And for your viewers, dilated cardiomyopathy has been linked to grain-free foods. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the link is weak, no question. But what, they, what the FDA said was that there's an increased incidence of dilated cardiomyopathy of dietary origin in dogs that eat grain-free food. And so what happened is the pet industry just, and, and they got better if, if you fed taurine. So the pet industry just started adding taurine to all these grain-free foods, and now the problem is better. But the point is, those grain-free foods, they went from being um, food that was high corn, soy, wheat, to food that was really high in legumes. Mm. So lentils and peas. Unfortunately, lentils and peas these days are massively contaminated with glyphosate. And that is how, when, when you see a field of lentils or a field of peas, they want to harvest them all at the same time. So FDA and the EPA are totally fine with the farmer spraying the field with glyphosate, Roundup, the active ingredient in Roundup, and then seven days later, harvesting those seeds essentially and putting it in our food source. Now here's the canary in the coal mine. Dogs were only eating that. That was what they those grain-free foods high in glyphosate, and there's no question they are high in glyphosate. I mean, there's lots of studies out there that show the level of glyphosate. Those dogs only ate that grain-free food, got huge amounts of glyphosate, and it damaged the processing of the heart muscle and the utilization of taurine. Mm -hmm. And so we added taurine in, but we never took the glyphosate away. Mm. So the downfall is we can ignore it as, as humans, but the bottom line is we're feeding this to our children. We're feeding mm. this to our families. And again, the dog is showing you that, hey, high amounts of glyphosate in our food is not healthy for you. That eventually it's going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. But in the typical fashion, we just get rid of the problem and never get to the root of it. And I think the root of it is so massive, so big, that if we had to acknowledge that 
we are openly allowing massive amounts of glyphosate to be put on our food source and then being fed to our people and our animals, it, it would be game changing. I mean, it would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Depressing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ladies. It's, it's, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we, we at least we at least have I mean, knowledge is power. Right. And, and the more we know. OK, so we have this. And, and unfortunately, you know, I live in the middle of farm country. I'm not going to tell my farmers who have been around me for hundreds of years and multiple generations what to do. And so the, the, the bottom line is you figure out, okay, if I can't control it right now, what can I do within my environment? And I know you talk a lot about milk thistle for, for the dogs and, and I, I love it for humans. What can someone do? You know, maybe they live in a, in a residential area and they know their neighbor, neighbor sprays or the true green lawn people come, you know, what, what can people do to lower their dog's exposure and, and help on a, on a daily basis as well as their own? Obviously we can, we can go from there, but of, of course I'll let you speak to your expertise um, <laughs> as to what, you know, what, what can we do to turn it around a little bit better than, than what's happening right now? Yeah, I think that um, avoidance is absolutely the number one um, common sense. If um, if your neighbor is spraying and then your dog needs to go for a walk to go to the bathroom, not, not go in your yard or at least wait till a couple of rains so, so some of it leaches down into the soil. Um, that is one choice. Milk thistle, pulsing it is a great way to do that. Hmm. Um, if you know that your neighbor is spraying, then you could give your dog milk thistle for like three or four days or even a week after that. So if they're gonna have exposure to it, let's at least give them the tools they need to be able to um, protect themselves mm -hmm. um, and hepatoprotective. So avoidance is, is absolute. Um, but then, you know, if for animals, it's the majority of, um, toxins come from the food. And so it's really this heavily processed grain-based kibbles that we feed to our pets all day, every day. And it's really, it, there's so many toxins in it and it's such the plane of nutrition is so low. Plus in animals, we put, we get, we put frontline on their, on their skin and absorb it through their skin to kill ticks every month. We give heart guard every month. We vaccinate every year. I mean, just the things that we do with animals, you would never do to your child. <laughs> you yeah. would never say, okay, my kid's got a tick. And so I am going to put this toxic substance on their back every single month to all year round, not just, not just in the summertime, all year round just to protect against the tick. And I, and I would say I'm not a, a, an extremist with a throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yes, ticks have lots of negative diseases that come with it and it's not good either. And so you kind of have to weigh it out. But let's say you decided that you did need to use a tick preventative. Well, then give milk thistle before and for like three or four days after. Mm -hmm. If you feel like, you're in an area that you need to vaccinate because you're gonna be going to lots of dog parks and you have lots of exposure to other viruses, 
okay, but then give milk thistle for like three or four days before the vaccination, give it three or four days after the vaccination so that you can have the mounted immune response, but not have the toxicity to the liver is a, is a great option. That way you can utilize science and things that that can be good in the right situation, but do it intelligently. Yeah. You know, it, it, we're in Wisconsin. And so there's no ticks in the winter time. So doing frontline or heart guard every single month in the wintertime is, is craziness. And unfortunately, as a veterinarian, I know that the reason that they, that companies recommend it is because they think that the pet parents are too dumb to start again in the spring, which is craziness. And the other is you buy more. Oh, yeah. If you're giving it in November, December, January, February, when there absolutely is no mosquitoes and no ticks, why on earth would you be giving your tox give your dog a toxin at that point? That's craziness. So I think that we can be a lot more conscientious mm -hmm. that toxins really do matter and that you might not see some in some pets, you're going to see it immediately. So yeah. you give the vaccine and then the next week they start itching like crazy and, and, or they develop um, seizures. I mean, there's so many things that when you listen to pet parents, they'll say, my dog was great until I, I did three vaccines in a row, all at the same time, just blasted them with it. And then from that point on, he's had allergies or at that point on, he's had seizures. Well, I think we can be more mindful about what we're doing to our pets, just like you would do for yourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I kind of, one of the other big ones that, that I hear is we've got to do that rabies one regularly for, for the dogs. And my, my critter, we gave him one, I think it was the second rabies and he had a bordetella on top of it. Cause at the time we were doing, um, the, the kennels and whatnot with, um, the play dates, I call it, I don't know <laughs> at that place. And he ended up with weird, like hot spots on either side of his cheek. And now we're due for another one. And I'm like, I don't want to give it to him. And, and I'm like, what, what do we do? What do we say in, in this case to, to try to avoid that? Rabies is tough because it, because it is a zoonotic disease, meaning that, um, your dog can get it. And if your dog gets it and bites your child or you, now you could get it, which is, you know, disastrous. So I would say yeah. that um, titering for other diseases like um, you know, distemper is is very doable. And that way, you know, if they have an antibody, a proper antibody level, there's absolutely no reason to vaccinate on top of that. The downfall for rabies is not only is rabies the one of the most reactive vaccines, but because there's this um, connection to what could happen with humans, very few people and very few researchers are going to say outright that you have immunity for X amount of years because nobody wants the liability of it. Sure. So that would be one instance where I would say, you know, try to extend it. So there's three year um, rabies vaccines that are good for three years. Take it out to the full three years and make sure that you only do the rabies. Don't do any other vaccines. Even if it's more inconvenient for you to go back, just do it, it's safer for the animal. Just do the one rabies vaccine and do milk thistle before and after. And then add some fruits and vegetables to their diet. 
And, you know, I think that antioxidants, we understand it with people that antioxidants are important. For some reason, it's not even considered as a part of nutrition for dogs, which is absolutely craziness because cells are cells, right? So they have oxidative stress, just like we have oxidative stress. So if you're going to be vaccinating, get make sure that you get some blueberries and some cranberries and get some broccoli into them for the for that week at least. Let's just let's try to decrease the oxidative stress that they have. And that's where, you know, nutrition be, plays such a huge role in that you I can appreciate that you can only afford so much. So sure. if you can only afford the best kibble you can you can afford, but you could also add in some broccoli and some cranberries and some blueberries and some good healthy food that you might be eating that day, then give some to your pet as well. So this idea that I never feed my pet from the table is craziness. Yeah. That was propaganda from kibble companies. That's <laughs> crazy. I mean, granted, I agree. If you're eating Cheetos, <laughs> anything that ends with the ITOS, don't <laughs> give it to your dog. You shouldn't be giving it to yourself. Right. But if you're eating a wholesome, healthy chicken breast and steamed broccoli and you're having berries in your in your breakfast, perfect for your dog. They need it as well. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Cause I've had some patients say, oh, well, my dog doesn't like it. I'm like, well, have you given it to them a couple of times? Kind of like children, they, they need to kind of see it. I, my little guy at first, he was like, Ooh, broccoli gross. Now he fights. Like he will come and nudge me when I'm making broccoli. He's like, I smell that. I want it. Yeah. I would say that um, because they're carnivores mm -hmm. and, and when you look at their teeth, their teeth are meant for ripping and tearing and gulping. So when you feed them broccoli, broccoli should be steamed mm. because they would actually be eating the ingesta of the animal that ate it. Oh. So when they eat a rabbit, they eat the muscles and the organs and the bones, but then they eat the ingesta as well. So it's pre-digested grasses and fruits and anything that that rabbit ate. So because the fact that they tear, rip and gulp, you really want to either puree the vegetables or steam the vegetables. Um, some younger dogs that have really great digestion can handle raw vegetables just fine. But older pets, they need they need a little help with that. Berries, you know, those are easily digestible and, and those are fine. But I mean, that brings up a whole nother point of species appropriate diets for dogs, yeah. that dogs are carnivores. And so therefore, they should get their protein from animal sources. So if you're eating chicken breast, give them some. If you're going to the butcher and you see chicken feet or chicken necks, those are such amazing good food for dogs. And that's the best way to clean their teeth. Because when they chop down on it, they, their tooth goes all the way through the soft pliable bone. And then when they pull it out, it cleans the teeth. So dogs that eat raw meat and raw um, organs, they never have bad teeth and they never have bad breath because that's nature's way of cleaning their teeth. Oh, that's fascinating. I never thought about that. I think a lot of people probably kind of like we've been brainwashed to think you go get the little greeny things and oh. you give them them. Now, what kind of toxins are in greenies? I'd, I'd love to know because oh, I don't horrible. do it anymore. But horrible. 
And look at the ingredient deck. It's wheat gluten. Wheat gluten. Like that's what we're feeding. That's like saying, I'm going to give you Oreo cookies to clean your teeth. <laughs> I'm going to give my kid Oreo cookies every day, every morning before he goes to school. You better eat your cookie because that's what cleans your teeth. That's how insane it is. I mean, it really is insane. And unfortunately, if you're only putting wheat gluten into this thing and selling it for a lot of money, you've got tons of money to, to advertise and make it seem like it's the greatest thing ever and, and, and do the propaganda so people blindly go, okay, I'll take it. And my dog likes it. Yeah, it's crazy. My kid would like to eat an Oreo every morning too to clean their teeth. But yeah, it's uh it's it's, it's it's like the same. I mean, it's it's translates to humans too, the same propaganda we've had both with the food. It's just it's wild, it's wild. So of course I, I noticed that you have your own food line for dogs. And I'd love to talk yes. about that because I've I've dabbled in different lines with my dog and found that sometimes I can't get him to like that we not to call it the company but just just for dogs we used that one for a while and he wouldn't eat it and then I was left to thinking well should I make it for myself I don't know what do I do here um so so tell us a little bit about your line how you came up with it because obviously you have tons of experience I've, I've 30 plus years is what I what I saw so you you know your stuff <laughs> So tell yeah. us, tell us about how you came up with it, you know, thought process. And of course the brand, everything, so everyone can, can learn about it because I think it's important for folks to have yeah. alternatives. It, it really came about, um, kind of twofold. One is that, um, chronic malnutrition leads to all sorts of diseases, diabetes, obesity, cognitive problems, just, I mean, the plethora of, of nutritionally based diseases in people and in animals. I mean, animals, again, canary in the coal mine are reflecting everything that happens in people. Mm -hmm. and, and people were eating heavily processed food and dogs were feeding heavily processed kibble. So as a veterinarian, what I saw is I saw that animals who ate well healed well. And I had this wonderful one of one of my very many wonderful clients and one of, <laughs> was this woman named Joanne and Joanne was just the greatest. She, she took amazing care of her dog. So her dog in the morning for breakfast, got a, got a smoothie with flaxseed and krill and blueberries and cranberries and just like had this amazing diet. And every time she brought her dog in, she would be smoking a cigarette <laughs> And, and for breakfast, she ate a Snickers bar. So I'm like, no, she was not very healthy, but her dog was amazingly healthy. And her dog ate well and healed well and lived long, vibrant life. And to me, that was like a really, that was an aha moment of, of why aren't we feeding pets better? And nobody thinks they're feeding bad. Like if you ask anybody and you, you say, what are you feeding your dog? They'll tell you whatever it is. And they'll be like, that's the best one out there. No, no, it's all heavily processed. It's like saying, I feed my kid the best cereal, mm -hmm. <laughs> the best box cereal that I can find. Well, no, it's still not real healthy food. So what I also got introduced to was freeze drying. And that freeze drying, if, if the average 
So dogs are carnivores and as carnivores, they should have, it's kind of a reverse food pyramid. So they should have really high levels of meats and organs, smaller amounts of um, veggies, and then less amount of fruits and the least amount of grains. So complete opposite of a human food pyramid. The downfall is meat and organs are icky. They're icky and they're gooey and they're just gross. And and would the average person just grind up a bunny every day for your dog? No, even I won't do that. But what I will do is I'll scoop a dry kibble and give it to my dog. Well, freeze drying is as close to that as it can be. So for freeze drying, you take these organs and meats that are all gooey and yucky and you blend them with the fruits and the vegetables. And when you freeze dry them, you pull all the moisture from it. So with only about a 3% loss of heat liable vitamins, minerals, or antioxidants. So you really, freeze drying is as close to fresh whole food as possible and it doesn't have the ick factor. And so I thought as a veterinarian, now that I would do and that the average pet parent would do that the average person would do you could still hold a job and feed your (laughs) animals well (laughs) god bless those people who home cook i mean it's fabulous but it's a lot of work and so we kind of saw ourselves with two two possibilities either we're feeding junk kibble or we're dedicating a crazy amount of time and energy to home cook freeze-dried was somewhere in between so as a um as a veterinarian and an entrepreneur, I invested heavily in freeze dryers. So we have 14 fabulous giant industrial size freeze dryers, and we make species appropriate food for dogs in a non icky way. So if you look at the simple food project, we called it the simple food project because that's what it is just simple food. It's not all of these byproducts and weird words that you can't understand and that you need to look up it's it's beef and carrots and spinach and krill and all just really good wonderful things in the levels that a dog needs in a non-icky way and then we try to make it as cost effective as possible So granted, the difference between feeding um, kibble and feeding freeze-dried is is definitely more expensive Sure. because whole food and real food is more expensive. So if you go to the store and you're buying real fruits and veggies and real meats versus going and buying six boxes of cereal, it's going to be more expensive to, to do real food. But as a veterinarian, I say pay now or pay later. Like Mm -hmm. if you're not feeding your dog well throughout his lifetime, then they're going to develop all sorts of illnesses that you're going to end up paying your veterinarian to try to fix if you care about your dog. So why not start from the beginning feeding vibrant, healthy food? So the ultimate is to feed like the Simple Food Project, which is literally just good, healthy, vibrant food in a freeze-dried format. If that's too expensive and that's hard to do, well, then start adding some healthy food back to your your animal's diet. If you're eating chicken breast, give him a little. If you're eating broccoli, give him a little. And you know how nutrition is, is 
anything you do is going to help to raise the plane of nutrition. Anything that you do is going to fill up their cup with, with the basic essentials of amino acids and vitamins and minerals and antioxidants that their body is going to sort out to have them live the most healthy, vibrant lives that they can. And I have a strong feeling of responsibility. And once we've domesticated these animals, now it's our responsibility to care for them the way that they would care for themselves. So if Fluffy was allowed to go and chase that rabbit down <laughs> and eat it every day, he would do that <laughs> and live a vibrant, healthy life. But we, if, if we're going to domesticate them and not let them do their, what they would naturally do, then it's our responsibility to feed them well. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's kind of been my, my thought process all along and boy, you're not kidding. Like anyone who's listening has ever tried to do a raw diet for dogs. It's a full-time job. I I tried for about six months and, (laughs) and, and just like, Oh, panic too, because I'm like, am I getting the right vitamins and minerals in here? And here I am with like eight bags, scooping different vitamins and minerals. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't know. So having someone that, you know, knows what the pets need, I I think that is absolutely huge and an option that's not science diet. Let's be real here because every, like every vet that I've ever seen, um, and until I met you and a couple other folks that work with the holistic vet department, it's all been science diet, yep. which, which makes me very, very sad. So, and we recently just launched a, um, it's called Medicus Veterinary Diets. So it's um, Simple Food Project is complete and balanced for healthy dogs and cats. And Medicus Veterinary Diets are the same as like science diet. So it's, it's diets that for animals that are sick, but instead of using garbage, we used whole food. Oh. So we were able to get the same nutrient profiles using good, healthy, vibrant food instead of using wheat and soy gluten meal and 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 just terrible ingredients that pet parents normally would not feed. So, so we kind of took it <laughs> even a step further and said, let's nourish our, our sick pets because that's when they really need good, good nourishment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. So everyone can keep it straight. We have the Medicus line. So, so tell, tell me, I'm not going to mess it up. So I'm gonna have you tell me to tell us the two lines so that folks have it. And guys, I'll put it in the the podcast notes. So the simple food project.com is our healthy diet diets for healthy animals. So dogs and cats. And then Medicus Veterinary Diets is whole food nutrition for sick animals. Okay. So two different websites. Okay, perfect. We will get that in the notes. Now, of course, there's another aspect of this that you are well-versed in. I love, I mean, I wish if I, I would have, when I, when I got into acupuncture, I wish I would have known that I could, I could get, become a veterinarian and do this on pets. Cause it would be the most wonderful thing ever. But in addition to that, you also understand herbs for yeah. pets. And, and yeah. of course, herbs are great for humans too. And, and we talked about milk thistle a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about like, just what kind of herbs are, are good for pets on a, on a maintenance basis, on a longevity basis, mitochondria basis. What kind of fun things can you share with us that we can translate back and forth between humans a little bit too? Yeah. Um, so 
the the third company that we own that I own is and founded is called Herb Smith, and Herb Smith is um, herbs based on Chinese medical theories. Mm-hmm. So I'm a human acupuncturist and a diplomat of Oriental medicine as well as a veterinarian, and <laughs> I I became a human acupuncturist, not because I necessarily wanted to see human patients, but more, I felt like it was the final animal. <laughs> like, like I wanted to know like, <laughs> what we knew, what humans could tell us that maybe dogs can't tell us. So for dogs and cats, it's all about watching what they do and then interpreting why they're doing it. And Um, With humans, a human could say, I have this plumpet feeling. I have this this something I feel like is stuck in my throat. And so I'm always doing this to try to get that loose. And you and I know that that's um, liver cheese stagnation and phlegm stagnation. Dogs do the exact same thing, but dogs can't say, I got this thing in my, I got this feeling in my throat. So dogs will start licking things. So they'll lick like the carpet and the, your couches and all sorts of inanimate objects. They're licking and licking and licking. And the owners are like thinking they're just nuts. And what's wrong with my dog? Well, the dog has this plumpet feeling. So what I was able to do is as I learned human acupuncture and human um pathology, I was able to then transpose it into pets. Another really cool one was, you know how older people, you get ringing in your ears? Uh And if you press on your ears, that ringing goes away. Well, old dogs love their ears pressed. And they get liver, they get kidney chi deficiency as well. So you'll see old dogs that just press their ears up against the couch. And you think again, why are they doing this? Well, they probably have tinnitus are ringing in their ears like we get, but they can't say it. And so what I was able to do then was to treat them as if they had either this plum pit feeling or they had this kidney chi deficiency, treated them with acupuncture and with herbs and they got better. Uh, So even though they couldn't tell me that that was going on, I could kind of get that idea from what I saw happening in people and what people could say. So Herbsmith is all about really wonderful Chinese herbs that are um, easy to transpose. So arthritis in um, Chinese medicine is essentially the same thing as arthritis in human medicine or in animal medicine. And so the herbs could be the same. And so a lot of the Herbsmith products are ones that are really tried and true, fabulous Chinese herbal formulas that work for people, but they also work for animals as well. So, and then some of them, we we added nutraceuticals and added omega-3 fatty acids and kind of took herbs as well as nutraceuticals and put them together and to to help different um, issues that might happen in pets where you don't want to go as, as, as strong as pharmaceuticals. And, and I personally would say pharmaceuticals absolutely have their place. Like if I'm going, if I have a broken leg and they're going to fix my leg, I want to be under anesthesia. 
<laughs> Don't give me a herb then. <laughs> give me a herb after when I want to heal. Absolutely. Right. Um, and the same thing holds true for animals. So it's it's when you might choose to use something like a really strong prescription strength, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory if your dog slips on the ice and is really painful. But then you might ch instead choose Boswellia and myrrh and other really fabulous herbs that you could then use long-term without any of the negative side effects. So herbs definitely have their place in, um, in medicine for people as, as well as for animals. Sometimes they're miraculous and life-saving and other times they're just a nice addition to when you don't wanna be on the pharmaceuticals for too long. Absolutely. Absolutely. I found myself taking, I, I had a dog who was quite sick previously and I found myself taking his herbs. Sometimes we would just share them. He had them. I had them. We, <laughs> we were yeah, all of the herb Smith herbs are human grade herbs. They're all, they all come um, with certificate of analysis. They're free of heavy metals, of pesticides, of E. coli, salmonella. They're um, tested for authenticity and purity. So the herbs that you're going to get for your pet are human grade, highest quality herbs, because you know me, <laughs> a cell is a cell and I'm not going to feed an animal lesser quality herbs Absolutely. because they're a dog. So, so they're still super, super good quality herbs. Yeah. A human could, yeah. hopefully FDA isn't listening, a human could eat the same herbs. Sure. Yes. FDA stamp on that, guys, just so you know that like technically <laughs> if something's for veterinary use, it's for veterinary use. And if something's for human use, it's for human use. But really, um, those who are ethical about it, the veterinary use is going to be just as good for humans. I mean, that's that's the the bottom line there. Now, can anyone order from Herbsmith or do you have to have a veterinarian prescription to order from or how, how does it work? We have both. Okay. So we have um, the Herbsmith OTC, mm -hmm. so over the counter, which any pet parent can order. Okay. And then we have Herbsmith RX, which is by prescription. So those would be ones that the herbs are much stronger. The herbs are very specific. Um, so for example, if a, if a pet had cancer, you really want to do a third um, Chinese medical exam. So you want to do a tongue and pulse diagnosis. You want to identify what disharmony they have and then pick the appropriate herbs. So the herbs that we have that are over the counter that are for any pet parent are for more um, common, easily identifiable things. So for arthritis or GI upset or calming anti-anxiety, um, things like supporting the immune system. But then we do have the RX herbs, which are kind of really by prescription only that either acupuncturists or um, veterinarians can prescribe. Ah, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, absolutely. There's some stronger herbs in there that I'm, you know, that we're aware of. And, and for a lot of folks who are listening, I mean, there's just some things we do have to be careful with in, in this side of, of, the, of the, the treatment realm. Now, 
of course, I I always kind of round out my podcast with if someone's looking to start moving into, I mean, they've taken care, they've started taking the steps to take care of themselves. And now they're like, you know what, I do want to, you know, take care of my dog as well. Where can they find you? Do you do online consults? How does that work? And then also, if they are looking for someone in their area, where can they find a holistic veterinarian like yourself? Is there a list or, or something of that nature? Yep. There absolutely is. So the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association, so ahvma.org, has a um, listing of veterinarians all over the country, all over the world, um, that, are, that are trained in different modalities. So they can go there and find a veterinarian in their area. Um, for chiropractic, there's the animalchiropractic.org, nice. and you could find a human chiropractor that's trained in chiropractic or a veterinarian that's trained in chiropractic in your area. And then for acupuncture and herbs, there's the um, International Veterinary Acupuncture Society, so IVAS, and the American Veterinary Acupuncture Society that you can go to as well and find a veterinarian that is that is above and beyond trained in acupuncture and the use of Chinese herbs. So all of those are, um, you get your veterinary degree and most people go out and practice for a while, but then you have to go and do postgraduate certification. So then you go and you learn on top of that to be able to add in these other modalities. Um, and then for, um, Herb Smith and Simple Food Project and Medicus, we do what's called Curate the Bowl. And it's a this quiz. You go online, go to our website, give me all the details. Like my, you know, my dog is six years old and he's 20 pounds. And <laughs> here's the history and here's what I'd like to help him with. And then I personally look at every single one of them every day. <laughs> and wow. I, I love it, you know, because it's like, it's my way of continuing to practice, even though I primarily run businesses now sure. and, and consult with other veterinarians. So I look at every single one of those quizzes and then make recommendations. Mm-hmm. And my recommendation might be, you need to see your vet because that sounds like ear mites, or you need to find a veterinary chiropractor and here's, here's a place that you can find somebody that would help you, or you should use this herbal combination, or let's change their food to a healthier food. And so then I give all these recommendations and then you can pick and choose what you want to treat, what you want to affect. Maybe, maybe you feel like, I don't want to do any of those things. That's fine too. But at least you get kind of my 35 years of veterinary practice and 35 years of being a holistic veterinarian as well into insight. Sometimes I come back and I'll say, I need some more information, but most of the time, as you know, most of the time it's pretty clear mm-hmm. what what would point them in the right direction. So um, it's called Curate the Bowl, at, and you go to herbsmithinc.com. Nice, nice. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I love that that you're like a hub basically to, to give people next steps, directions and, and whatnot. I mean, I think for a lot of us, if that gets us started in, a, in the right direction, that can open up a lot of doors because right now I still find that the, the veterinary holistic realm, I mean, it's growing, thank goodness, but it's definitely one of those 
places where there are a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions from my clients asking me, what about these herbs for the dog? What Can you do acupuncture on my dog? And I'm like, oh, I wish. I, I went into the wrong field. I should have been a veterinarian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's kind of how I started Herbsmith is I thought at the time, other veterinarians really hated me. Like they were pissed because they felt like I was giving away the secret sauce. Like how dare I just sell herbs directly to pet parents. And I'm like, how dare you not? Right. Like there, at the time there were only 1200 holistic vets in the country. Now, even if we all, all of us saw pets all day, every day, seven days a week, we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of the pets that need care. So by starting Herbsmith, now we sell hundreds of thousands of containers of herbs to pets. And these are pets I am never going to meet. I'm never going to know, but I will have a positive influence in their life. And, and knowing these well, made sure that no one was going to get hurt, that mm -hmm. it was very safe, appropriate herbs. But if, if there were more holistic vets in the world, great, then that would be the ideal way. But most people contact us and say, I don't have a holistic vet near me. Mm -hmm. I, the, the closest one is a five hour drive. And what can I do? And there's so much, like, I think if you were to take something away from what our discussion today, it's, it's all common sense. Mm -hmm. You intuitively know it, you know, and it's common sense that a dog should eat, eat healthy food. Like, <laughs> and it's, and it's, I, I've always said, it's crazy that we even have to talk about it, right? Like we're some conspiracy theory, eat broccoli, <laughs> are you kidding? Like that's nuts, you know? It's, it's nuts that we even have to discuss it. And hopefully, you know, a hundred years from now, they're going to look back at your podcast and go, what were those ladies talking about? It's <laughs> crazy that they're even talking about this. I, I hope, I hope that's the case. I really do. And, and part of bringing you on was really to, to shed light on the fact that there are options out there when it comes to your pet's care, especially if you're taking care of yourself, you might as well take care of your pet in the same manner with the same principles. And, and that's kind of the, the whole preface here is that I, you know, in addition to the pets being the canaries in, in the mind chef and all, I mean, it's, it's really is, if you're gonna dive into this type of care for yourself, your pet should come along with you. I mean, yeah. absolutely. So my goodness, thank you, Dr. Chris, for doing what you do, sharing your knowledge with everybody. And I can't wait for this podcast to go out because it's it's low. You have so many resources. I mean, guys, I, I dove in her website for about two hours last night into all these different blog, you know, holes. I it was like midnight before I went to bed because I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know this. I mean. <laughs> We could probably do a podcast just on dog microbiomes from, from what I gathered from you. Oh, so absolutely. I think, I think we might have to do a, a, a repeat and talk about that for sure, because I think the microbiome component is so relative to what's going on with humans. And if your dog's off and you're off, something's going on in the house. It's so. Actually, an interesting study came out where they showed that that the changes of the microbiome of the dog reflect the same changes of the microbiome of the human, which you and I it, intuitively common sense tell you, yeah, 
but there's science that shows that what happened, the disruption that would happen in a human's microbiome also happens in their pet living in the same household. All right. Well, we will definitely do a microbiome chat because I, I will tell you after the podcast how much I learned, but boy, guys, you, you want, you want to do this. You, you want to go to the next one here when we talk about the microbiome. So Dr. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. I sincerely appreciate it. Absolutely. It's always great to talk with like-minded people. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, health junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to Dr. Spelled Out, J-K-R-A-U-S-E-N-D.com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule a chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out now. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.